Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest joining us from Ireland is Jude Morrow, and he is author of the book, Why Does Daddy Always Look So Sad? As long as Jude remembers, he's always been different. The difference now is that he embraces and loves that difference, and he wants everyone like him to do the same. He used to hide his autism out of shame. He wanted to be someone his son, Ethan, could be proud of. So by writing, why does Danny always look so sad, he hopes one day it can be. Jude is involved in autism advocacy and campaigning and regularly meets with local autism support groups. For more information, you can visit Jude's website, which is judemorrow.com, and that's J-U-D-E, M-O-R-R-O-W dot com. Now, that, I'd like to welcome Jude to the show. Good day, Jude. Hello, Robert. Thank you very much for having me here and for the lovely, kind introduction. You're very welcome. I'm looking forward to this, this our chat today because your, your book is um, – you know, the subject is, is just is very important, and you also have uh, the perspective of, of, you know, of autism through the life, you know, how autism you know, affects someone, you know, for a lifetime. So I guess I want to start with, you know, since inspiration is kind of my, my thing, what inspired you to, to write this book? For a long time, I hated myself because I was different. I just wasn't like everybody. It wasn't easy. And then I had to go on a journey to accept the fact that I was autistic instead of masking it or hiding it because my constant desire for routine, my constant self-inadequacies, as I put it, was really impacting upon the relationship with my son, Ethan, who was three years old at the time. And I suppose I harbored a lot of scars from my childhood that deeply, deeply affected me into adulthood. What I needed was a perspective change, and whenever I went through therapy support and received that perspective change, I became incredibly proud of who I am and the journey that I went through. Ethan, as a five- and six-year-old, knows that his daddy isn't quite like him. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to write down, and probably my best communication method, the written word, I wanted to write an account of my early life and his early life so that he knows the journey and void, so to speak, that his daddy went on. And that is what became Why Does Daddy Always Look So Sad in the book that we have now. Yeah. So why the title? You know, why why Daddy Looks So Sad? What What's the connection? Well, whenever I was expecting Ethan, whenever Ethan was on his way, I greatly struggled with the, the idea of my entire life changing. Whenever I was young, I developed a coping mechanism to always prepare and make as many variables in life known to me as possible. So I was always prepared and 
try and plan ahead. And whenever I found that Ethan was coming along, pretty much like any new uh, first-time parent, uh, the entire life changes on that was really daunting for me. And whenever Ethan was born, although I always adored him and loved him as my son, I did find Ethan's normal developmental milestones very, very troubling. Like whenever he was uh, waking and sleeping at different times during the day, whenever he started eating different foods, wanting to partake in different activities, I couldn't really cope with it. So many changes in such a short space of time. And one evening I came home from work. I was working as a, a social worker in a community mental health team at the time, 30 miles away. So I had a long journey home and my mother brought me into the kitchen and told me that Ethan had asked her, why does daddy always look so sad? And that's because mm. my struggles were so apparent and were so easy to see that even my then three-year-old son could see them. And it was then that events triggered to lead me on a more positive journey to accept who I was and to not hide it or mask it any longer. Wow. That's that's a real um it's a real emotional moment there, you know, that you know, and I can understand that and um you know, it's just one of those things you'll go back to, you know, that, that kind of sticks out and um who do you hope this book reaches? I mean, is there is there any particular um kind of person who would benefit most? I mean what would you say as far as who who was written for? Well, firstly, it was it was written for my son Ethan in the first instance. But whenever I self-published the book initially, it did take on a life of its own, and a lot of uh, parents resonated with it to give them hope that their autistic child could have a bright and happy future. And uh, that was a, a happy byproduct uh, of, of this book I wrote for my son. But what I would want now is I would want every autistic child and teen to read the book to know that one day they may uh, grow to love a happy, successful life and that an autistic person like them is, is making it in the world. But whenever I do any uh, speaking shows, uh, whether it's my own or any events or conferences that I would speak at, Anytime there's a, a Q&A, I always get so many questions from uh, autistic teens and kids because they get it. I'm like them, and they're like me too. So whenever I, I get feedback, even now, from uh, particularly uh, autistic teens reading the book, is that they see a lot of themselves on the pages of my book, and it's a, it's a really nice feeling, not just for them as the reader, but for me to know that other people understand the journey that I've been on. And it's, uh, it's a really good feeling and to give people hope that they can integrate and be an integral member of society is a really good feeling for them because a lot of autistic people are autistic and aware as well. They're aware that a lot of people are concerned about them. You know, they're aware that they may not get the same chances and treatments in life as many others. And I suppose it's a bit of a comfort to them that things can, can go pretty well like they have with me. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, as soon as I asked that question, as soon as I finished it, I, <laughs> I knew it was going to be Ethan for you, Ethan. But um, I was like, oh, you know, I, anyway. But, you know, I, I think, you're, you know, it's very true that, you know, the, those with autism who, 
you know, have gone through, who have recognized some of the, um, the societal, you know, kind of, um, I don't want to say judgments, but societal perception, let's say, yeah. uh, you know, of autism, you know, that um, that sometimes it can, I mean, it started as a negative, you know, but what, how would, what would you say your personal view of autism? What, what What's your view of it in general? My view in general now is that being autistic has saved my life. It has got me to where I am now. My passion and drive has um, accelerated um, my book to where it is now, of course, with the help of my agent, publicist, and, and publishing house. It's, it, it's a project that I really believed in. It's one that a, a lot of people have taken hope and comfort from, and I'm, I'm using that as a, as a springboard. And I think that focus that I have and that real desire to have things pan out the way I want them to has stood me in great stead. You are right in that there's a lot of societal misconceptions about autism, and I'm sorry to say, particularly in the United States, that a lot of people would use the word autism to someone who has a classical learning disability. And a learning disability is what I, I don't have. I have a, a normal high range of IQ. And I suppose that's the ultimate misconception that I, that I do want to, to break down with this. And there's so many negative views on autism and being autistic in general that it's very, very disheartening for me as an autistic person because even the very language that's used in the book, a lot of the language that is used in the book would not be the preferred language of a lot of autism or autistic advocates because whenever I was at the stage of writing the book, a lot of the language that's used in it is what I would have deemed at the time of writing to be wider societally accepted language to put in the book. But I wouldn't change it as how I saw things and how it was whenever I was, right. I was writing the book itself. Well, you know, I mean, you have to be true to the, you know, I mean, if you're going, if it's going to, you're going to be relating to, you know, others of the same age, going through the same kinds of experiences, you know, they'll know whether, you know, what you're writing about is authentic or not. So I think that's, you know, that's, an, you know, definitely needed to, to do it that way. Now, you were speaking of societal change, you know, and language. Now, one of the things I'm going to, want to talk about it towards the end of the show, but you you had um, an article that you you did on ThriveGlobal.com. You talk about five different ways to kind of maximize this uh, period that we're in. Um, but one of the things, one of the the items on that was called change your autistic perspective, and in that section, you you use the word neurodiversity, and I yeah. have never heard that um, before. So. Um, and I like it because it does not carry with it all of the other stuff, you know, that carries. So can you tell me just a little bit about it? Because I've not heard it before, and so tell me just a little bit about that. Well, with neurodiversity, I would be very open and admitting that I didn't hear of the word until the last six or seven months either. And what neurodiversity is is that it's a more uh, societally accepted, it's a more social model uh, towards the view of autism and autistic people. 
in uh, basic psychology, and I even knew this from my training as a social worker, that there's two uh, models of disability, so to speak, the medical model and the social model. Neurodiversity would veer towards the social model, and that being autistic is simply a different neurotype, and that is just a difference to be celebrated, accepted, as opposed to the more medical model, which would place a focus on what differences make autistic people uh, vary from other people. I think the accepted figure that is an approximate for uh, autism is 1 in 59. And I suppose the medical model would put an emphasis on why this one person isn't like the other 58, as a, whereas the neurodiverse model, which um, accepts and embraces differences, uh, would be why the, the one should be celebrated as opposed to made to be like everyone else if the medical model would stipulate. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, you know, and, and it also, um, you know, it frees up the um, the idea of it's a, it's a complete range. I mean, all of, you know, all of it, all the neural activity, you know, I mean, there's such a wide range that it's just different, you know, like every other one is, you know, I mean, so, um yeah, anyway, I like that. You know, I hadn't heard it before, and I just think, um, again, that's a wonderful way of, of getting people to, you know, number one, stop and think about it. Uh, don't don't attach the baggage of the word, you know, autism or, or any, other, any other types of label. Um, and then just start fresh, you know, with, with exactly what it is with, a, with an open mind. So anyway, but I want to talk about that later. But I just thought that, you know, since we had talked about language, you know, that I thought that was something I wanted to bring up kind of right away. Um, so now, do you feel autism is a gift? I do think it's a gift. I really, really do. Because if one Googles famous autistic people, everybody is blown away by, by who comes up. And uh, yes, there's a wide range of spectrum. And so many people, like, like anyone else, have so many ranges of difficult, uh, talents and challenges. And I suppose with being autistic, uh, there's the me the medical model kind of alluding to that question would uh, indicate um, repetitive or obsessive behaviors, whereas in a more neurodiversity perspective, there's passions and special interests, and sometimes those passions and special interests uh, have changed the world. Somebody's passion and special interests into the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Somebody's passion and special interests uh, became musical law and models as we know it now and somebody's um, repetitive and special interest became special in general relativity, and that governs our overall knowledge of the universe, space, and time. So I suppose that in that way, that is where the gift really comes out, that focus, that determination, and that drive to improve outcomes for wider society, and I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I do too. I mean, you know, and when, when you think about uh, um the creativity and just the, um, you know, unique perspectives. I mean, with different neural programming, you're, you know, if you're not like um, a majority of people, or you have, let me just say, you have neural, you know, patterns that are um, take you to places where it doesn't take other people. You know, that um, those are, that's where, I'm, you know, genius and, and creativity and inspiration, I think, uh, that's where it, it all resides there, that it's just something um, 
beyond the scope of, of uh, what's 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 out there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, there's there's just so many gifts and so many ranges. There's um, so many different people. I mean, that's why they truly call it a spectrum. And uh, what the, the the autistic spectrum, a lot of people would also mistake that for a sliding scale of severity, and it's not. A, a spectrum is a, is a diversity. If you think of the, even the visible light spectrum, it's not uh, alluding to one color mm-hmm. is darker or lighter or more prominent than the other. It's just that equal range. And whenever a, a, a photon or a ray of light is put through a prism, all of the, the different colors are, are spread evenly among the visible light scales. So I think that's another good way to look at the autistic spectrum, like any spectrum, whether it's visible light or any any, mm-hmm. any other length frequency spectrum. That's a very good visual aid to apply when discussing this topic. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, a different display of of nature, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's but it's all you know all the same. But now, one of the um, areas that, that you uh, talk about in the book is, is about. Um, how defeat makes a champion. And I, I would think that growing up, you know, there had to have been a lot of, of challenges um, where, you know, maybe the, the idea of defeat, you know, that it feels like a defeated kind of, of action. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, that concept of defeat making a champion? Well, that's a, a very prominent line in the book, and it's one of the most quoted lines in the book, Defeat Makes a Champion. All my life, from whenever I was three years old, I was written off. I was consistently written off by playgroups, by teachers, by friends, romantic interests, work employees, absolutely everybody. But my, my mindset entirely changed that up to the point where I was writing that book, uh, whenever I wrote White is That, I always looked so sad. I just reflected and realized that I had so many victories that I somehow pre-programmed in my mind to feel like defeat. Instead of focusing on the progress that I'd made throughout my 29 years of life or 28 years of life as I was whenever I was writing the book, that a lot of the times in my life where I felt that I had failed or I had let people down, I always bounced back. I never gave up, nor did my parents, sister, or best friends, or even myself. Nobody ever gave up on me. And on the whole of it, you know, life turned out pretty well for me, not only from my own determination, but for the sheer belief that my mother, father, sister, Emily had for me. And I went for too long in my life realizing or thinking that I had so many defeats and so many hardships in life. But really, whenever I looked at them in retrospect as as an older man, that they were all victories that I should be individually proud of. Yeah. Yeah, the 2020, looking back, it's, you know, it can be just viewed in a whole different way from being in the in the midst of it. Sometimes being in the midst of it, um, you, you can't see what's you know the, that little gem that's going to come out of that uh, that pressure moment. Um, 
So now, one of the things that um, I found on your uh, Twitter feed was that you had a, a link to an article um, in uh, thriveglobal.com, and basically it was how to turn lockdown uh, to an advantage, to your advantage, and you had five ways. Now, I would recommend people go ahead to go to thriveglobal.com to read the whole thing, but I'd like, if you wouldn't mind, I think it would be, you know, really good for listeners to be able to give them um, a sense of what, what those um, items are and, and uh, what they can apply. So the one of the the first one that you mentioned in, in that one, one out of five is nurture your passion or the passion of your child. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that looks like maybe for you or, or what for, for listeners what that can look like? It's actually really funny because I was actually talking to my mother in the last couple of days to through the COVID-19 lockdown whenever I was a very small child. And I loved toy cars. Even toy cars, even as a grown man, I love real cars that you put a key in, you turn it and they drive. And I I just love cars. And uh, in that, my main, my parents and family would have played with my toy cars and I would have taught them because uh, all about the mix and models and so on. And um, that's whenever I was really small, whenever I was four and five years old. And whenever people talked to me about cars, I just bloomed. I just opened up because it was my special interest. It was my passion. It was my uh, my real first special interest and love that somehow still stayed with me. Uh, even as a, as, a, as a teenager, um, I all, I've always loved reading and writing and if uh, this lockdown had have happened uh, whenever I was a teenager, I probably would have written some form of book, whether that was a fiction novel, because uh, as a teenager, I probably I wouldn't be alive long enough to write a memoir. Uh, I'm, I'm only 29 now, and I've already won that <laughs> memoir. So uh, I suppose I've ruled out an autobiography uh, whenever I'm 50, 60, 70, whatever. So it's exercising that talent, that passion, that desire and making it something that the whole family can be involved in, I think is a really beautiful concept and I've met a lot of really supremely talented autistic people one I was speaking to recently and their child is an avid photographer and just taking that time to get that perfect photograph in the house to be that bit more inventive has really brought a the parents and child a lot closer together and uh, using this talent, using the time to perfect the talent and then plan where it's going to go in the future, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, it can be turned to your advantage if uh, you play your cards right, I suppose. <laughs> well, no, it, it's great. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, it is one of those times and, you know, a lot Many times, uh, if people are locked in a um, a cycle or routine of of work, um, work home kids, you know, that sometimes we lose touch with what that passion, what our passion would be. So, you know, this is also a good time to maybe, you know, rekindle, you know, what what some of that would be. Um, now, one of and a, a second one of those um, items advantages was to change your autistic 
perspective. Um, and that's the, the section that you had on, on neurodiversity. So how would you say that um, you change, did you change your perspective or how did your perspective change during, during this particular lockdown phase? Well, whenever my book was released, my book has only really been in the public eye for the last 12 months. And in my mind, I was always someone that said that I have autism and I did buy into the medical model a lot. I understood that I, you know, I do have limitations. I do have challenges. And I suppose it was something that I did learn to accept. Whereas whenever I got speaking to more people, whether it's my own speaking shows or anything else, I met a lot of bad people that were called neurodiversity advocates. And they showed me and taught me a much more positive way to view myself in a neurodiverse sense, which is by describing myself as an autistic person, because really with being autistic, it governs my entire existence. It, it governs how I see the world, how I interact with it, how people interact with me. And I, and I really love that way of thinking. And I think a lot of the literature out there from a lot of mainstream autistic organizations are very, very outdated. I think a lot of websites and charitable groups will mention things like lack of eye contact, difficulty in making friends, and so on, whereas there's just not enough of the positive gifts and blessings that being autistic can bring. It's just not really in the public eye, and society at large does have a certain view of autism and autistic people. I am aware of that, but I think whenever more people educate themselves on the positive gifts that being autistic can bring, that a lot of people can draw a lot more comfort and understand their child and even themselves much better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, um, if we have a just understanding and respect for, you know, the our individual nature. Um, now, one of the things also you indicated is, is real important during this lockdown time, or to turn to you know, take to your advantage, um, is to um, allow yourself and or your child to feel um, that it it's positive to recognize bad days. So, and this would be for autism, no autism. I mean, this is just for everybody. I would think that. Um, so, can you talk about just how you know the importance of, of um, I guess embracing the feelings during this time. Yeah, it is. And allowing yourself to feel is such an important thing. It's something that I realized whenever I was going through cognitive behavioral therapy in, in my mid 20s that allowing yourself to feel is so important. And that's not just autism or specific, it is in general because a lot of people now are leaning on social media and digital interactions, <laughs> similar to what we're, we're doing now. And, you see a lot of um, uh, even like memes and pictures saying that uh, if you weren't productive during lockdown, you lack discipline and stuff like that. And a lot of people shouldn't be so hard on themselves or um, because we're mm -hmm. only going through the greatest uh, public health disaster since the Spanish influenza and the plague. So I think even with me, I would be the first to say on air, that a lot of concepts regarding lockdown, I have dealt with very badly. And 
I have felt frustrated, I've felt annoyed that my routine and the things that I love doing have been taken away from me and I know everybody's in the same kind of position but with me I think me and maybe other autistic people would agree that I feel changes much more acutely than a lot of other people and that's okay and it's being aware of it it's understanding why I feel as an okay dude today you feel frustrated it's fine it will pass or if you have something positive going on in the day where okay we had a little one today let's let's hang on to that and let's see if we can chase another little one let's uh, see what we can do because my book came out on the 7th of April which is I think whenever you look back at it and not only public health history but publishing history probably the worst time ever for it to have come out and <laughs> I mean there was nothing we could do we went ahead with it we're making the best of it as as much as we can and I suppose trying to get the book out there now it's uh, it's a focus it's a, a real drive of mine it's a passion of mine it's something that I want yeah. to do uh, trying to get it out there to as many people who can take comfort from it as much as I possibly can and uh, recognizing the disappointment that perhaps I didn't have the launch that I envisaged, but it's only been an unstoppable and unspeakable global pandemic that stopped it, and I didn't really plan for it. Uh, in my future planning, I would think of every single possible scenario, global pandemic just didn't get in there at all. So trying to be much more fluid with my um, kind of PR and trying to get the book out there to as many yeah. as I can. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I kind of um, have, to, have to laugh. I mean, it's, you know, global pandemic, it wasn't no, in not many people or if anybody's kind of, uh, you know, window uh, frame. But, but the one thing I've learned about self-publishing books, and, I, and I've done a, a few, is that, I mean, it takes its own, it's got a life of its own. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's going to be birthed when it's going to be birthed, you know, and there's, you know, no stopping no matter what's going on. Um, and it'll, it'll grow. Um, so do I have you there still, Jude? Yes, you do. You have me here. I'm also right. with, yeah. with, So, yeah. So it'll be, with, it'll be gone. With, it'll go through with terrible twos, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and, and that crawling and walking, you know. So anyway, it's just like a regular, you know, lifespan. But the book will—that's how the just look at it that way. And and then um, I've always, you know, been uh, whenever I had uh, that kind of slow, slow burn of a start, and you know, it was like I just remember the Chinese bamboo, you know, that it grows roots, you know, years before it even sprouts above ground and has this incredible, incredible structure to hold it, you know. <laughs> Great yeah, yeah. So, I think every author, uh, and I am totally guilty of this, is that because every author believes so much in their work and, and they just want to change yeah. the world, and I have included myself in yeah. that, is that I am finding myself looking at a certain online marketplace's bestseller rank in every 10 minutes, hoping it to go down and down and down. But uh, what, what a lot of um, books these days. Uh, everything from Hot Harry Potter to Where the Crow Does Sing, whatever it may be, is that the most powerful tool, regardless, is word of mouth. And a lot of yes. that takes time, unfortunately. 
it's a, it's a trickle effect. I think everybody wants and believes we're going to be boom, just an instant, a giant global success. And uh, realizing that it's yeah. going to take a bit more time than that is a bit hard to get used to. But uh, I'm not going to give up no matter what. In five and okay. ten years, I'm still going to be talking about this book. I won't give up on it ever. Yeah, well, you know, it, and then you should. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that it's very needed. You know, it's just very important to have, you know, literature out there that is encouraging and helpful, you know, uh, to those um, with autism. And, you know, and your right word of mouth is the best. And, you know, the thing about your topic is that it's a very distinct group. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, there's... Um, you know, in reaching out to, you know, to readers, you know, that, I mean, it's, you know, you you have a, basically a, a really defined target group. And, and then I, the people that I've known who have children who are on the autism spectrum, um, I, I know that their networking and their, you know, um, connections are very strong. So, you know, it just kind of just needs to be, you know, a ripple in those that community, and then it's going to go, you know. That'll, it'll, I'm confident that, you know, because, again, it's, I know the um, – just from the, the experience I've had, I know that it's a, uh, a niche that kind of, you know, that is in real need <laughs> of positive uh, literature. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's just my point. My opinion. <laughs> I agree. Even whenever I was researching my own book, whenever I was writing it, I, I looked at a lot of literature that already existed. And most of literature on the topic of autism is written from the perspective of the parent. Um, in my head, where I'm the autistic dad and my son is not autistic, it's just a completely different narrative. Um, I, I, there, there have been some books out there that have taken uh, a similar type narrative to it, uh, to my story. It's, uh, it's some, there's some similarities uh, in, the, in, in the actual story, but with, why does Taddy always look so sad? I suppose it's mine, and uh, I like that it just it, it seems to sit there very, very well amongst it, and it's a very hopeful story. It's a story that is very positive and because a lot of people, whenever the word autism or autistic is mentioned, there's the, uh, like the death sentence two words, which are for life. But yes, I will be autistic for life, but I will love it for the rest of my life and I'll love myself for the rest of my life and I'll still be autistic when I'm 90, should I make it that far? So everybody can have the same stance. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it, it's it's and and I think that um, you know having that positive self image is is just going to is real important. Now, one of the things I want to get back to the, those five. We have two more tips um, that you mentioned in that article, and one of them was take some control, take some control back. Um, t- tell us a little bit about that because I'm 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 curious as to you know. In that house setting, you know, where does control get lost? That it may require it to be taken back. Well, with me, um, whether it's with my son, uh, given the lockdown, and I'm still working as a frontline social worker uh, every day, so 
I'm not seeing Ethan as much, and that's very hard. And uh, I'm not seeing my girlfriend and family as much, which is really, which is really troublesome for me because they're such an integral part of my life, and I lean on them a lot, even now as a as a grown man with a beard. And what I th- what I am doing to keep myself occupied is, of course, making a plan to. Uh, accelerate the book out there among autistic groups and communities and with autistic people and I, I, that can apply to anyone like I alluded earlier to um, the, the child that loves photography and there's time now with parents and kids to look at okay well how can we take this to the next level how can we gain more exposure and it's something that parent and child can do or adult on their own. And if they've got a, a great idea or a great concept that has been born from their special interest or talent, this is the time to construct a plan to get it out there because um, fulfillment in life, autistic or not, comes from making a living or living a life doing what you absolutely love doing. And that's a path that I certainly want to take. And that, that's exactly the path that I'm on now and trying to get it out there and, and speak to as many groups and conferences in the world as I can to tell my story that being autistic is perfectly fine and in a lot of circumstances an advantage. And I've always been a note taker and a planner. I love planning things. I don't go with the flow in the moment, unfortunately. But I take class. I, I like making checklists and checking them off and... Uh, really just going for it and trying to make a plan that uh, will achieve my goals, and I think everybody can do that. Yeah. Now, I was, I was wondering, because I, you know, I was reading about, you know, your, your like a Mickey list and checking things off, and, you know, I wondered that um, um, in this particular case, you know, where, um, where there's so much change um, and and you you know talked about the, the difficulty with relating to the change. Is this a case where the circumstances now are um, kind of does your your sense um, or avoidance of or dislike of change? Does, is it um, kind of um, making it easier for you to? Work with change, or is it, or do you just incorporate the, the new? You create a new system to support the change. You know what I'm trying to say is like, does it change your perspective of making changes, or are you just making a new structure for the so there's less change? When it comes to change, I always feared it, and I did everything in my power both positive and negatively, to prevent change. My mindset was I can't allow any change in my life whatsoever. And that's a mindset that I had as a teenage boy, as a young university student, and as a young man. I didn't like any form of change. And a lot of my planning went into preventing it and what I would do should change occur. Although I did realize one thing, that no matter what I do, I, I do tomorrow, uh, as hard as it is to say, I am a very small cog and a massive, massive machine that mm-hmm. 
planet Earth. And no matter what I do, I can't stop the world turning once 24 hours a day. I can't stop the planet revolving around the sun every 365 days or 366 days as it was in a leap year this year. I can't do that. And change is inevitable. We are a fluid and dynamic society and not everybody is like me. And I think whenever I recognize that changes can happen and change does happen, I can cope with it much, much better. A change isn't something to be feared. I viewed change in the past as a fear factor, as a trigger point for uh, desperation in my behavior, whether it's scrambling to keep things as normal and in inverted commas as I possibly could. But change now is something that I accept happens. And no matter what I can do, I cannot prevent it. So it doesn't make it easier necessarily to live with, but at least I can acknowledge it and have a better mm, okay. understanding of it that I can't control it or <laughs> ironically change it. I can't change change. <laughs> yeah. Funny thing about that, isn't it? Um, so, but, uh, well, you know, that's, I mean, that that's good to know because, again, I, I was just curious about uh, its impact. And it, it sounds like, you know, your awareness of your um, makes it um, easier to experience it, or, you know, w- without kind of any, a negative, you know, energy attached to it. Yeah, definitely. And I think different yeah. people, me myself included, have a different sensitivity to change as likely as someone yeah. has a different sensitivity to hot and cold water. To me, it's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So now, what as, as an adult with autism, what is what are your major um, areas of support? Where, where do you get support from? I have support from pretty much everywhere now because I am open at the fact that I am autistic. I had it for so long. I embrace it. I'm proud of it. I am not afraid to ask for things to be clarified, for people to speak to me directly. My parents are just as behind me now as they were whenever I was an infant. Even though they're a little bit shorter and a little bit grayer and a little bit older, they're still very much there for me. And I talk to them every single day and now. And I have the best sister in the whole world and girlfriend in the world. And Ethan, I have literally the best team ever and I can talk about my frustrations and back to the point of allowing myself to feel I do allow myself to feel and I talk it over with people and uh, with every every one of my friends and family that are listening right now I am sorry if I drain you there I said it live on air but I am happy <laughs> to acknowledge my feelings and discuss it with other people and it's something I didn't do it's a it's pretty much a personal cleansing exercise and uh, I, I feel much more honest and open in life as I, as I, as I do now. And it's, it's something that took me a long time to learn to do. It's possible yeah. because it was always very much a closed book on how I felt. And what I exuded externally was certainly not how I was feeling internally. And there's much more correlation now between what I exert 
uh, externally than what I feel internally. So uh, I'm a much more, I feel, authentic version of myself now, and I'm very proud to be so. Great. Yeah, you know, and every autistic child needs to grow up with that that self-awareness um, and self um, uh Confidence too. So, um, what what do you um, think that you know? Is there any um, advice that you might want to give uh, listeners, um, or maybe some of advice that you feel is real important that maybe we didn't cover in in the in the book that you would like to let readers, I let listeners know, and readers. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, definitely. Uh, the, the first thing that I would say is no 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 matter what or no matter who I've met on this amazing autistic journey that I've been on since I first self-published the book last year, was I have never, ever met a parent who believed their child to be autistic and been wrong, ever. And, I mean, that's perfectly okay. And the, a lot of people believe that a formal diagnosis of autism is what's needed to avail of support guidance and the opportunity to allow your child to meet other children like them and that is just simply not true whether the a group is in the UK, Europe, United States any group I've spoken to I've always asked them, just to, for my own information, if a parent were to message your Facebook page and say I believe my child is autistic, we are on the 18 month waiting list or 3 year waiting list or however long it is depending on their state um, we are on this waiting list my child is autistic, can we sign up? I have never encountered a group that has said no because I think uh, parental support and advice and guidance and getting to know their child and allowing their child to meet other children like them is a wonderful thing and and, and it's something that a lot of charitable and voluntary groups promote. So I would be very, very quick to say, look, reach out to your local groups, your local services. A diagnosis is not needed in that way. A diagnosis only serves one thing, to tell you what you already know. So that is my yeah. uh, that is my nugget of gold. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's real important. And, you know, as we kind of said, you know, earlier in the show, I mean, there is just a whole range, you know, of um, neurodiversity, you know, that um, – that trying to define, you know, where does it start, where does it end, you know, can I belong? I mean, it's just, it, that just doesn't make any sense because there's, it's just so, such a range. But, but again, being there and being supportive and being, having others um, that are going through similar experiences is, is just invaluable. So, um, well, Jude, I want to thank you for your time today. I have really enjoyed our conversation and, and I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get this together. Thank you very much, and I just want to say for all your listeners as well, for my book, it, it is out now, uh, even in the midst of everything that's going on. That's Why Does Daddy Always Look So Sad, published by Beyond Words. It's available at all major online uh, retailers um, in Kindle, paperback, and audiobook format. And what I will say as well is that for anybody reading the book, and I'm doing a lot of this now, is that I want the reading of my book to be an interactive experience. And I would love people to mm -hmm. message me uh, on my Facebook author page at Jude Morrow Author or Twitter at Jude Morrow 10. Ask me questions because up until now, 
Uh, it's been hundreds, and I have answered every single question that people come to me with about the book because the story as it is in the book, yes, it's there, but there's other little uh, pieces of information that perhaps weren't uh, productive in the flow of the actual story that were actually taken out. So if you have the opportunity to get some more little snippets of the story, please talk to me. I love hearing people's stories as much as um, uh, as people reading mine, and uh, every, everything is there on my website on www.judemorrow.com as well. So reach out to me. I love hearing from people, and I definitely will respond to that as a promise. <laughs> Oh boy, you you wrap that up like a pro. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is because with with interviews, uh, with interviews, um, Robert. Whenever I do an interview, this is your first time doing this interview. This is my third. I've already gone through this already twice. I have. I do normally two or three runs of every interview where I answer every question that I think I'm going to be asked. And I have my uh, answers prepared and ready to go. It gives me the time to memorize them and articulate them fluently. Great. Now, there is just one thing. You're also on Instagram, too. So <laughs> we, we want to go ahead and... And you know what? I had it written down here. I had it in a big star that says which is at Good Moral. So <laughs> thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> Sure, my pleasure. I just want to let everybody know that that was the case. And uh, so, anyway, I'm looking to um, follow you. I've already followed you on Facebook and follow you on Instagram and Twitter. So, I really like uh, want to stay in touch and appreciate you taking your time with us today. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so, so much, Robert. That has been fun. You're very, very welcome. Again, again, everyone, as Jude said, uh, he is author of. Why Does Daddy Always Look So Sad? And again, like he said, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is judemorrow.com, J-U-D-E-M-O-R-R-O-W.com. Everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, Our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.